0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD
1: Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty and I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well today on the show we're going to talk a little about one of the worst diseases you could ever get in a broadleaf crop. It's sclerotinia white mold. It does impact a lot of different crops. We talk mainly on the show here about soybeans and the impact of white mold on soybeans, but it can hit so many other crops like dry beans, sunflowers, canola. It's a tough one. Plus, when you have a disease, you have to take so many extra
0: steps to fight. That's a great one to learn from, no matter what crop you're raising. That, you know what, when I've got a tough disease, oh, it's easy to say, well, you know, you just spray one shot of fungicide, everything will be great. Or, oh, you just pick a different seed variety and everything will be great. That is not the case. With most of the diseases out there, that's why we see them. That's why we're fighting them in crops. So sclerotinia white mold is, is a particular disease, but yeah, many of the lessons that you learn from this one can be used to stop other
1: diseases too. All right. So if you've got any questions about sclerotinia white mold or anything that's going on in your farm, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844 442 4743. You could also email us radio at agphd.com or send us a note on X, AgPhD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. So happy Halloween. Today we're going to talk about the scariest disease you can get in soybeans and many other crops, sclerotinia white mold. So we'll talk about this throughout the show and we're going to get to the AgPhD mailbag here in just a minute. But I'm going to give you a quick list of let's see, it'd be 11 things that we would consider doing on our farm. And in the white mold areas, the traditional white mold areas, we will probably do seven or eight of these things every year. And you might go, whoa, you guys are spending some money. Here's why. We've had sclerotinia white mold take 90 bushel beans to zero. And that is not a joke. And it's not on one acre. We farm 3,500 crop acres, and we've had an impact probably... 50 acres at the most before where it's gone to zero. Eh, Maybe not quite 50, 30, but it can impact many other acres that we have, not to that degree, not 100% yield loss, but pretty bad. So this is the worst disease on our farm. It is the one we spend the most money to attack. It is the one we think about the most, and we talk about it the most too. So here's my very quick list. And like I say, we'll talk about this throughout the show. So, number one, make sure you get your soil manganese levels in the high to very high category. I want 50 to 100 parts per million on a Malik 3. Now, if you have a DTPA, I quite frankly can't even use the DTPA because DTPA manganese tests correlate only to soil pH. I find them useless on my farm. Malik 3 is the only way to go for a manganese test. 50 to 100 parts per million, in my experience, is what you need. Contans. Spray that out in the fall right after you've had a white mold issue. Spray it right over the sclerotia. It's a fungus that will eat that sclerotia, meaning you'll have a lot fewer mushrooms and a lot less white mold in the future. Pick a more tolerant seed variety. Go to wider row spacing. Lower your planting population. Don't get too nuts on that, though, because keep in mind, the lower you go on planting population, the more weed issues you're going to have and potentially the more yield you're going to lose. So I would never plant less than 100,000 plants per acre for soybeans because when I plant in cold soils, that really translates to only about 80,000 that actually grow because the standard cold germ on soybeans is 80%. So 100,000 is as low as I would ever, ever, ever recommend anybody go planting population. All right, heads up seed treatment. Then use a PPO and a group 15 early post. Something like warrant ultra or anthomax. it's not labeled for it. There's there's no there's nobody that can tell you, oh, this for sure is going to lessen your white mold. But what I find is you get a little more airflow through the plants, the plants are a little shorter, you have a little less white mold in our experience. Again, not labeled, but I'd suggest you do that. Plus you're gonna have better weed control anyway. Cobra or Phoenix, six ounces costs about four or five bucks. Spray that right before flowering in soybeans, or just about any crop right before flowering uh, is the time where you want to think about getting started. But Cobra or Phoenix is Phoenix, by the way, is safe and Cobra. That's pretty much only labeled in soybeans, so you can't use it in all the the different crops that might get white mold, but we like that right before flowering. Okay, so the reason why we're thinking about right before flowering is because once flowers start in your, your field, then when they uh, they finish, they're done. Whether they abort, they're, you get pollination, whatever, uh, it's in those Those flower spots where white mold can enter in pretty easily. So that's when the disease gets in and fungicides are good at preventing disease. They're horrible at curing disease. So I said 11 things. I've given you eight so far. Here's nine, 10 and 11 fungicide, fungicide, fungicide. In soybeans, for example, we suggest spraying at R1, R3, and R5. That's absolutely what we do on our farm in the white mold spots. I'm not saying this is all our acres, but in the 10% 15% of our fields where we've had a white mold history, we go hit it hard. And man, this works. So is the best one. That's about 43 bucks an acre. So yeah, you don't want to spend it. You don't want to spend that money in every acre, but it is really good. Proline's good. Domark's good. Uh, there's also Topsin, or Tolaris is the generic. So we actually like a combination on our very last pass of Domark plus Topsin. Only costs like 15 bucks to do both. Full-rated Domark, 20 ounces of Topsin. That works pretty well. So I'm just saying you got to hit her hard with fungicides. So anyway, this sclerotinia white mold thing, it's a terrible deal please don't ever think that, oh, I'll just go spray one shot of fungicide and that'll fix all my white mold problems. Well, it might if you had super crazy light pressure that might have only hurt you five bushels. But I just want to go back to what I was telling you a little bit earlier, where we've literally had beans, 90 bushels go down to zero. With any one of those 11 steps that I told you, do you really think one thing is going to give you a 90 bushel yield increase? Not a chance in the world there's no possible way so make sure you're thinking about all these things and again we'll we'll give you some more details on on many of these things as we go throughout the show today but sclerotinia white mold super tough disease make sure you're thinking about it starting now put yourself a good plan together it doesn't have to be in all your acres but at least your historic white mold spots it will really help you out we'll talk more about it right after this
0: Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer.
2: From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn
3: how we can help you expand
2: your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com.
0: listening to ag phd radio thanks for joining us today we're talking about one of the worst diseases we can think of sclerotinia white mold and hopefully many of these tips for controlling this specific disease will help you out with whatever disease you're fighting and whatever crap you're raising white mold is a tough one no doubt about it so uh, we're going to go through a few different strategies. Brian kind of laid out what we like to do on our farm, but there there are a lot of other things being used around the country and in different crops. So, got some other experts that are going to be on a little bit to talk about this today. If you have questions, you can always give us a call eight four four forty four AG PhD. Got Aubrey Brown on with us right now with BASF. How you doing, Aubrey? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Well, we're doing well, but you you. I don't know, it's hard to even believe, but on a dry year like we had on our farm, we still had a little bit of sclerotinia white mold show up. This is a tough disease.
5: Yeah, it absolutely is. Where's y'all's farm at exactly?
0: Well, we're in South Dakota and we've had about half the normal rainfall the last three years. and. Uh, you know, normally in the wet years, we fight a lot of white mold in our soybeans, but on dry years like this, it's it's not too much of a problem. But we did see it in a couple of lower spots, uh, heavier ground, high organic matter where we had early crop canopy and thick crop canopy and, and just a heavier soil that could hold whatever little bit of moisture we got.
5: Yeah, this disease, it's really responsive to environmental conditions, and that's why we see it show up some years, and then other years we don't see it at all. It produces resting structures, the or they, they look like black rat pellets, essentially, but if you break them open on the inside, they're white. And these resting structures are really resilient over time, so they can stay in the field and tolerate different environmental conditions and then they'll germinate and produce apothecia that makes spores and they only germinate in conditions that are favorable for them so they can stay around in your field until you get cooler temperatures at the right timing of the year so between 58 and 68 degrees in you know mid-july and Humid conditions. That's why we really mostly see it more northern, up in Indiana, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and Illinois, and that's where it really shows up most often because it's wetter and cooler. But if you get the right conditions at the right time, you can really see this disease come out. Yeah, absolutely. The
0: you know, you, you talk about the little apothecia, the little uh, mushrooms that that uh, come out of the sclerotia. And I know growers get excited about that. They're like, okay, so I'm watching out for mushrooms. But these ones look a little different than than other mushrooms that you're going to see in the field. And I know one of the limitations of doing a radio show is we can't show pictures right now. But I'd encourage anyone listening download the free Ag PhD Soybean Diseases app that we put together uh, with the American Phytopathological Society. They're, they've got some great pictures in there so you can see what this actually looks like out in your field. And, and you're right, Aubrey, if you've got the right conditions for a mushroom to grow, uh, that's kind of the right conditions for white malt to get started.
5: Yeah, apothecia are different than mushrooms. I mean, physically, the main difference is they're inverted. They're a lot smaller. When you think about what a mushroom looks like, you can visualize that while standing up. That's the way I like to think about it. But with an apothecia, it's quite small, it's closer to the size of, you know, smaller than your pinky nail. And you've got to kind of get down there and look at it. So that's why they're easier to miss. The best thing that you can do with this disease is prevent it, prevent it, prevent it. Because if you get an infection, it's going to stay and then it's going to grow over time. So ideally, we don't see it at all. And if we do, we manage it effectively so that the amount of inoculum or sclerotinia sclerotiorum in our fields goes down over time. Because if we have an outbreak and then we don't do anything about it next year, it's going to be worse the next year and it's going to be worse the next time it shows up. This is not a disease that goes away without effective management.
0: And not every fungicide is going to help with this either. I know a lot of growers would say, well, I'm using a fungicide in soybeans, but there are different products that work better on this specific disease. Um You know, when you look at those fungicide programs, the tough thing too, Aubrey, is you have to spray them before you even see the disease if you want the best control.
5: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you absolutely do. And if you're trying to control white mold, you have to come into the season with an integrated pest management approach because this disease has an incredibly wide host range. So it can actually infect weeds. And then the weeds will increase, your inoculum levels. So you have to manage and control weeds. You have to have adequate row spacing to increase ventilation because if you have increased ventilation, then you have reduced humidity and that humidity bolsters the pathogen. And then when we get to the appropriate timing for the fungicide, you actually want to go a bit earlier if you want to control white mold because of the fact that you want to hit it closer to the stems and you can't get canopy if you have full canopy coverage at r3 then you might not get it because this disease comes down from the soil floor and it affects stems so you want to apply your fungicide at r2 timing and that r2 timing will give you a better ability to kind of have a contact with that disease for modes of action you're absolutely right this this is a very resilient pathogen, and it tolerates different fungicide MOAs more than other ones. So with BSFs or Revitec fungicide, we have three modes of action, a group 3, 7, and 11. It gives you a broader spectrum coverage so that you can target diseases that are more resilient to older chemistries.
0: Yeah, and like you mentioned, the the timing, I I love the logic behind that, that you've got something that's coming up from the soil floor and getting coverage on that is going to be important and doing that before full canopy uh, is very helpful I think that's important. And then I, I see so many growers that are timing out that R3 timing that, man, this is where I'm getting the most yield gain just with a, a plant health-based mm-hmm. approach. And I don't argue with growers. A lot of times they'll say, hey, somewhere in that R2, R3, you know, you, you'll see, you'll, you might have some differences out there in your fields as you're running across them. But uh, going just a little bit sooner, that's going to be a big deal, too, for, for all the reasons that you mentioned. Aubrey, great stuff. We really appreciate having you on. Thanks for, for going through this tough disease with us
5: of course you guys have a good day don't remember don't forget to clean your harvesters if you have white mold make sure at the end of the season you clean out your harvesters
0: you know that's a great that's a great additional tip and and uh, you know just to to talk about that a little bit, we, Brian and I, have grown up on a farm that we've raised seed beans for for most of our lifetime, and so we've always thought about that. That oh man, if something's going to get into the seed, uh, you you see it as you look at seed cleaners uh, across the northern part of the country. That they can sort out any white mold sclerotia pretty well. Uh, But yeah, you think about those combines as you go from one field to the next. I know a lot of times folks will say, oh, it's the custom harvester. No, it's you. You had it in one field and you carried it along with you to the next and now you spread those seeds out there for for white mold to pop up in, in your next soybean crop. And uh, we just were talking with Aubrey Brown here with BASF, who was discussing, man, these sclerotia they're durable. They're long lasting. They're going to stay in your fields for quite a while. So this isn't a disease that, you know what, you didn't have a, you had a dry year, didn't see white mold. Now you don't have to worry about it again. No, it can pop up a few years later. So, Definitely one to keep an eye on. Brian talked about uh, a comprehensive approach and just a lot of different ways to, to manage white mold. I know one of them is doing less tillage, and we've seen that be successful just with those sclerosia exposed on the soil surface. And even though they're durable, uh, going through multiple seasons with all the sunshine, with snow and uh, animals and everything else uh, that are out there in the wild, that that can help break them down a little bit quicker than if you bury them underneath the soil and give them some protection. So lots to think about here when it comes to managing sclerotinia white mold. We'll continue talking about that, but we'll also uh, be taking your calls and questions throughout today's program. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us radio at agphd.com. We get, uh, Quite a few emails throughout the week, and uh, we try to get to them as quickly as we possibly can. So, if you do send an email in today, you got a pretty good shot. We'll get to it today, unless we get flooded with emails, but we're going to do our best to get through those in just a little bit. Stay tuned. You're listening to AgPhD Radio.
2: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions.
0: When nematode pressure mounts, seed applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and
2: we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower.
4: Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST. Are you Ready.
0: We got the need, the need for seed
4: treatment. Start, Start your re- engines.
3: Re- Ready, set, Intego. Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions.
1: Banding Nitrogen with your planter saves you money. Don't waste those savings by buying an expensive application system. Clever design and engineering means 360 Bandit's colders and hose guides work to get the Nitrogen the perfect place for rapid root uptake. 360 Bandit puts a band of Nitrogen on both sides of the seed trench, three-quarters of an inch deep. And 360 Bandit costs a fraction of what more complex systems cost. Don't overspend. Choose 360 Bandit from 360 Yield Center.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about sclerotinia white mold, and I know it's already been a little bit depressing. Oh, man, this sounds kind of tough, but companies are working on finding different solutions all the time for this. And in fact, there's a new product out that Corteva has. We're going to talk to Jeff Moon here with Corteva about that. How you doing, Jeff?
6: I'm doing really well today. How about yourself?
0: Well, I'm doing good. Now that we're all uh, a little depressed about this white mold, man, it's really tough. I thought, hey, here's a great, great time to bring in somebody with a little hope for us. So talk to us about the new uh, Viatude product.
6: Yep. So we've got a a new fungicide. Uh, Many people maybe have been familiar over the years with using some approach uh, on their soybeans for the control of white mold. Uh, We've got a a different uh, fungicide to bring forward. The name of it is Viatude and uh, Viatude has shown some really good activity on white mold, and uh, we're really excited to launch that product in 2024.
0: You know, you look at two modes of action, and, and I think with almost every problem that we face in agriculture, if we can just get more effective modes of action at the, same, at the same time going at these problems, it just helps fight them that much better. And like you say, you've got two different products in here that both have been pretty good on white mold. Putting them together, uh, I, I sure hope when we get out to the field that one plus one equals three.
6: Yep, I hear you. And, and you're right. You know, I think what people really need to think about, whether it's white mold, or even if it's a, you know, a herbicide or an insecticide, you have to have effective modes of action. You know, you can have three modes of action or four modes of action, but if some of those different ingredients don't bring you the activity on the disease or the weed or whatever you might be fighting, it really doesn't matter. And so here with with, uh, this one, uh, with Viatude, we've got some profioconazole that's in there, some pacocistrobin that people are used to working with. They both are effective on white mold. We put them together we think we've built a pretty good mousetrap here uh, as far as white mold activity goes.
0: You know, you've got a good product, but you have to deliver it where you need it to be on those plants. Talk to us about the timing, about coverage. Do you need adjuvants? Have you seen a benefit there? What are some of those tricks to making this product work its best?
6: Yep. So I I think we need to start off with a rate. you know, we talk about 12 ounces uh, of this product being the rate that we want to focus in on. And it's hard with white mold, you know, uh, you just don't see it out there and you're you're kind of putting this on before you have a problem. And people can be kind of reluctant to treat. They're like, well, I don't know if we're going to have white mold this year. I don't know if the conditions are right for it. But when it comes to white mold, you, you got to get it out there before you have the problem. Once it shows up, it's too late. And so we think the timing for this one is probably about R1. And if you really want to get after it or, or you've got a field that's had some heavy problems in the past, it might take a couple of applications. And I heard you talking before about Know, r3 and so if we can hit something at r1 and, and then again at r3 we feel we can have a a uh, pretty solid program there that's going to deliver some good results for you
0: you know when you think about white mold like you mentioned that the challenge I, I think the biggest problem is that it's well it's dry and it's not looking yeah. like we're gonna have a white mold year and then like happened to us in our farm this year we thought well it's been super dry there's no way we're gonna have white mold and then boom we get a big rain and now it's too late We've already got canopy, and we're in trouble, and here we go. A week or two weeks later, we see white mold.
6: Yes, sir. Yep, you're exactly right. And, and I think a lot of people were in that same predicament this year. Darren, uh, they, they thought it was dry. We were under dry, droughty conditions. I know you were dry where you're at. I live up in, in central Minnesota. We were dry there. But, boy, uh, those folks that did go ahead and put a fungicide on, it did make a difference this year. We did actually have some white mold show up in those really dry areas. So, you know, you, the farmer is the best judge of this, right? Uh, you, you know where you've had some white mold issues before in, in your rotational uh, schedule. And if you're coming back on some fields where you know you've had an issue before, your neighbors around you have had some problems, you, you better pencil in a, a fungicide treatment. You know, here as is you're thinking about planning for the 24 season uh, so that you've got that already in the plan, already in the budget, and you're ready to go.
0: Yeah, lots of things to think about here with white mold. Planning ahead is always a good idea, and yeah, we're excited to have the new Viatude product out there with two modes of action, both effective on this disease. Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate you talking about this new product a little bit and look forward to talking again down the road.
6: Thank you for your time. Uh, Have a good
0: day. You bet. You too. We've got Trevor Dale with us right now with Valent. Uh, Trevor, just, uh, just listening to you talk a little bit about fall fierce applications here not too long ago and and here we are we're already focusing on next year and diseases
7: yeah our our uh, seven to ten days of fall
0: is gone <laughs> and
7: now we're in winter
0: <laughs> hey before i leave that other topic though there are still guys putting out fall residual herbicides and i know if you're thinking about fall burn down yeah. type stuff yeah we've had hard frost now in the north it's it's too late but those residuals could still go out there we got some warm-up coming here and and still a good shot to get those things done
7: Oh yeah, I mean I sure hope so, anyways. But yeah, it does look like the weather's gonna turn around and warm back up, and at least hopefully there's uh, maybe a couple of weeks left of um, opportunity to apply. And you know, and I even say un- unless the stuff is is totally dead, I I'd still be putting in my um, roundup and dicamba. I know some guys would disagree with me on that, but um, I th- I think it still works to some degree. And again, like I say, unless it's been an extremely hard killing frost, then it's totally dead.
0: Um, we got we got pretty cold. We got cold, pretty cold, Trevor. Well, maybe I'll I'll disagree with you yeah. on that one right now for where yeah. we're at. But you're right. We got listeners all over the place, and and for a sure. lot of guys, yeah. it, it hadn't get quite that cold. But okay, talk to us about white mold here, because that's one that we know. Man, it's out there. The seeds of the sclerotia are out in the fields right now. If you've had white mold before, you've got an opportunity for it to come back if the weather's right. Uh, what are some things that you recommend for growers to manage white mold? <laughs>
7: Yeah, so I actually had some personal experience with it uh, last year. uh, Decided to put uh, beans um, under irrigation. Was not expecting white mold from the guy that talks about white mold a lot. Um, But it had been continuous corn for at least eight years. Um, Just wasn't really expecting it. And and I know these spores can come in from neighboring fields. And... um, even in talking to some agronomists, with the wind blowing 50 miles an hour, there's no telling how far these spores could come from. Um,
0: tremendous
7: white mold. Um, lost a lot of yield. Um, not, you know, didn't have any spots at zero, but uh, probably lost at least 50 bushels in places. And so this year, went back to the field mostly corn, but. Threw in some soybeans just so I could kind of prove it to myself. And um, I did, you know, Brian mentioned something earlier with the group 14 and 15. I did spray with Perpetual earlier on and uh, came back with Phoenix about July 1st. And we essentially had no white mold. Now, my plan was to come back with Endura, but I did not get it
0: done. You know, you at, talk, talk about using the, the Phoenix or Cobra type solution. It's less expensive than a lot of these fungicides. And I think right there it gets growers thinking, oh, man, I'm dealing with a disease. A fungicide is going to be much more useful for me. But uh, whatever it is with Phoenix and Cobra, we've been doing the same thing. We get out there just before bloom and we, we put that on. I know some guys don't like to see the burn on the leaves, but you're only using a six yeah. ounce rate of cobra half rate of cobra for the for the white mold protection and uh the the weed control is just a bonus but even on our farm the last couple of years when we've been in a drought it just takes about a week or so and the plants are looking great again and we just don't have near as much white mold
7: no it in <laughs> yeah there was some crop response i didn't use any adjuvants i just used some bor uh liquid boron with it and um six ounces and yeah dad was like you, you know got a little tough on the beans didn't you and I said well do you want five six foot tall beans that are full of white mold or soybeans at the end of the year you know yeah, they, make, they grew out difference. of it and it was best beans ever so
0: yeah I didn't notice a huge amount of shortening and and sometimes that can shorten the beans up a little bit uh, and maybe it's a slight amount but it wasn't that much different mm-hmm. I, I couldn't really tell where we had been uh, later on but We just were spraying that, especially through those patches where we've historically had some white mold pressure, just for some additional help. We talk about some of these different things with fungicides and everything else, and I understand it's another additional investment. But uh, 10 years out of 10, it's going to pay for us because the three years that we have white mold are taking a lot more money than what some of these additional things will cost. Hey, Trevor, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on and look forward to talking to you again down the road, too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
4: Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
5: Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brother's. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey. I'm a farmer and I work for Case IH.
0: KSIH, built by farmers.
4: Insects have rained since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges. Until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids: extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids rain at ridgeback.corteva.us.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We've been talking about sclerotinia white mold, but in the meantime, we've had a number of questions come in for the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, uh, get this one from the red-bearded farmer. Boy, that could be me, but it isn't. It's someone else. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of good-looking guys out there. Uh, he says, why would you guys put in drainage before fertility? I'm not a conventional farmer, but I have a hard time believing that drainage improvements will put more money on the table faster
1: than making sure your fertility program is spot on. Well, I mean, it all depends on how bad your drainage is. So, yes, you may have a point there, but we've had areas where we get zero crop because of poor drainage. So I don't care how much fertilizer I put out there. I have zero until I fix the drainage. We always talk about fixing drainage first as well because it's soil disturbance. um, It's a long-term investment. It's just something we want to get done. After you get it done, everything else you do pays that much better. All of a sudden, the fertilizer seems to work better. Your seed performs better. The herbicides, the insecticides, the fungicides— Everything is better because you have a healthier plant and a healthier overall soil. I can promise you with poor drainage, you'll never have the healthy soil you want.
0: All right. Thanks for the feedback.
1: We appreciate that.
0: I got this one in from John. And he said, all right, guys, which soil test exactly do you recommend? Here's my story. I've had... Uh, This ground, that it's been 8 or 10 years since it's been soil tested. It it used to be farmed by a grandparent of mine, but it's been rented out for a number of years now. I'm starting into my third year farming it. Yields are not that much different than when uh, the grandparent farmed it. Soybeans in the mid-50s, corns in the 180s. Where do I start on this soil sampling? Which test should I run?
1: I would run... uh, uh, Okay, so we send our tests to Midwest labs in Omaha, Nebraska. They're the largest testing lab in in the country. And that's why, well, they can just run so many samples so fast. It's unbelievable. But I personally, when I send stuff in, I like the S3C Malik. So it's basically a complete soil test, only the Malik 3 version rather than what many people consider the standard version. I like the Malik 3 version better because it's less expensive, number one. And number two, it gives us a much more accurate manganese reading. So anyway, I I want a complete analysis. And so if you're running through some other lab, let me just give you a few things that you have to have on there. Soil pH, obviously. And you might say, well, of course. But believe it or not, some of the tests we get in, we don't even see soil pH. I I mean, everybody's going to test N, P, and K. But to take that a step further... I want base saturation that tells you potassium, hydrogen, sodium, calcium, magnesium. So I need that base saturation test. We want all the micronutrients tested. And by all, I mean zinc, copper, manganese, iron, boron. Those are the main ones. I mean, if you want to test molybdenum too, great. Uh, you know, Usually, uh, even on the, the standard tests we run, we aren't typically testing molybdenum. We only do that every once in a while. Uh, beyond that I want to see salts I need to make sure I see sodium excess lime is really important and all these things are on the standard full test that I had just described earlier but these are important things and if we don't have this then sometimes key answers are missing for us so anyway uh, just get a complete test and go from there now one other tip that I'll give you is And I know if it's the first time you pulled soil tests in a long time, you're probably going to think I'm absolutely crazy, but I like one acre grids. Now, I'm not saying you have to do it every year. I'm not saying you have to do it even every five years, but one time. I want one-acre grids. And the first time is the best time, and here's why. Because otherwise, you're going to go out, you're going to test in 5, 10, 20-acre grids or zones, whatever, and you're going to get a general idea of how you're doing, but you're not going to be able to fix the true problems in your field because you don't see all the variability that's out there. I want to get it down to a per-acre basis. And by the way, some people say, "Wow, that's I don't need to go that small. Think about it this way. One acre is the size of a football field. In the fall... It's football season. The odds are pretty high that you've been to or seen a football game on TV. Okay, So when you see the NFL, everything looks amazing. But please go to a small-town high school football game sometime this fall and just tell me if that football field looks even from one end to the other. And keep in mind, they, they take care of that. They fertilize it. They water it, everything. It still doesn't look right. Every single small-town football field I went to this fall, Um, had issues in certain areas of the field. (laughs) And that's one acre. Okay, So just imagine if it was 5 or 10 or 20 football fields, how much variability you'd have. It's incredible. So I'm just saying I would run more tests than less at least this one time. And then if it's 5 or 10 years even if you get back there, whatever. But at least you got it done one time so now you know the problems you can fix. Because quite frankly, if you find the problems and then you simply replace nutrients based on what you removed, you shouldn't fall any further behind after you fixed it. So you fix it once, then replace the nutrients you've removed, you should be in pretty good shape moving forward. So that's my suggestion. Wow, that got to be a long answer for a super quick question he had.
0: That's how it goes sometimes. Uh, All right, got uh, some weed control challenges here. First one, this is from Randy down in Missouri. He said, guys, uh, can you suggest a herbicide program to control this weed in two situations? No-till burndown and CRP native warm season grasses. It's bull nettle, also known as stinging nettle, also known as Texas bull nettle. It's a perennial weed, just tough to control for us. Hey, thanks for the question, Randy. Uh, I, I know in pastures... We like to use milestone. That's worked really well. Remedy has worked well. Pasture Guard, which has star Rain and remedy in it, that's worked well too. You've got a few different options if you're in, uh, you know, a roadside ditch, a pasture, that kind of thing, uh, and that may apply to your CRP as well. Um, if you've got a no-till burndown, though, why wouldn't a high rate of Roundup work on
1: that? Brian? It would. That'd it be, would
0: be great. That'd be my first thought. Is just a
1: high rate, not a, oh, we're going to run 20 ounces and or something like that. don't put 2,4-D or dicamba with it. That's what kills a lot of people when they're doing these burn downs on the perennials is they go, well, I got to throw some 2,4-D or dicamba in for the Roundup-Resistant weeds. No, you don't. Please don't. What you're af- If your main goal is killing a perennial weed, do not put any of that other stuff with it because here's what happens. The 2,4-D and the dicamba work so much faster than the Roundup. They literally will shut the plant down before the Roundup gets translocated or moved through the extensive perennial root system of your target weed. So if you're after Canada thistle, stinging nettle, any any of these perennials, I don't care what it is, please don't put 2,4-D or dicamba in there. Well, I mean, your fur, your uh, chemical dealer, I should say, will like it if you do, because then you're just going to keep repeating this. <laughs> you're going to do it again and again and again and again, and you're going to go, oh, I'm not getting anywhere. of course you're not getting anywhere you got to just use the perennial killer by itself do that and you'll have amazing results beyond that whenever we're talking about any of these perennial weeds in row crop if nothing else if you don't get that roundup burn down done let's say for whatever reason you know you go plant you think oh i'm gonna get the burn down done rains a bunch crop comes up you're like oh no at least make sure it's not going to seed. Okay. So, whatever you have to do, make sure it's not going to seed. Because can you burn it back with 2,4 D, dicamba, status, things like that? Of course you can, but you're not going to permanently kill it. So, Roundup in the burn down when it's warm, highest labeled rate by itself, that's the way to go.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Yeah. There's. There's just a lot of different weeds out there and it's kind of under, important to understand what the life cycle is, how those weeds grow and uh, like you were mentioning if you're going to make combinations of things and so often as we get these questions and we have get a few more questions that will be coming up here in just a minute of multiple weeds how do I control when I have this and this and this. Sometimes uh, the mix of multiple things together you can have one herbicide working against the other so you do have to kind of pay attention to that. Sometimes it's better just to go out with a strong rate of one and and do the great job, especially on the worst weed. Oftentimes we'll narrow it down. What is the absolute worst one that we have to get this one under control? Start there, knock out the absolute worst one, and then start focusing on some of the secondary ones a little later. Well, there's still time to get your question in for the Ag PhD mailbag. You can call us 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned.
3: It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio today. We're digging into the Ag PhD mailbag questions right now. You can email us radio at agphd.com or give us a phone call, 844 44 AGPHD. phd uh, I had a question here about a couple of tough weeds. This one uh, comes from Brian, and he said, Here in the Northeast, we had a record rainfall. It was a terrible year trying to make dry hay. Our big weed problems are thistle, and wild parsnip, they're out of control and spreading. Uh, what, what can we do to stop them? Okay, first of all, let me talk about this wild parsnip, because a lot of times we'll, we'll get some questions. Why do you guys get so serious about weed control, and why do you have to kill all these other weeds? And it's just about making more yield and all that. Well, wild parsnip, it's not just about making more yield. This one can actually hurt animals that graze on it. Uh, it can hurt their digestive system because there's something called furanocurmarins, and I know my pronunciation is probably terrible on that, but it's a toxin that, among other things, causes phytophotodermatitis. When you touch that, that sap is toxic to your skin. It can cause blistering and something that kind of looks like a sunburn, which is probably a mild way of putting it. But when you expose that to the sun, it gets worse. And it's just a terrible one. So do not try to pull that with your bare hands. It's an invasive weed. It's a biennial. It's got a deep taproot. Right. And you're right, wild parsnip can be tough. Now here's the thing. Can you use something like 2,4-D or dicamba, assuming this is a grass hay kind of situation? You can. You just have to use them multiple times and you have to be timely with them because once wild parsnip puts seeds on, it's too late. And I know some people will say, oh, you can hurt the germination of those seeds, find me a study that says that you can hurt the germination of wild parsnip seeds. Everything I've read about it says, nope, once it makes seed, you're too late. You're not going to get it. So you're better off uh, trying to do something different or uh, mow it down, do whatever you can because it, it's a tough weed. Now, uh, some people would say, well, what about mowing and cutting? If I can just keep mowing it and not letting it go to seed, will that work? Yes, eventually it will, but you got to keep mowing all the time, repeatedly, for multiple years. So if you want to do that, sure. But if you want to just get rid of wild parsnip, because your hay is pretty much worth, worthless if you've got a bunch of wild parsnip in it, you could look for something with a little longer residual, like Duracor, for example. Now, if you do Duracor, uh, in most areas, they're going to tell you that treated hay can't be used for 18 months anywhere but your own farm or ranch, so if you're selling the hay, then that's probably not the best choice for you. But if you say, no, we're just feeding it up here. Well, no problem. It, it isn't going to hurt the animals. You just can't uh, send it elsewhere. And then you have to watch where you spread the manure because there's going to be a little bit of, or could be a little bit of um, the active ingredient in there, there, aminopyralid, that makes it through to the manure. But a better solution would be 2,4-D or dicamba multiple times, and you've got flexibility in what you can do with that hay, too. Uh, so obviously you've got to follow the label. I'm assuming we're talking about grass hay here. Thistles, you can control those with the same things, Duracore, uh, Milestone, or you could use 2,4-D and dicamba and just keep doing that multiple times each year for two or three years, and you can wipe this out. So you got a few different options there. If it's alfalfa hay or if you have clover in the hay, I don't have a solution for you because everything that's going to kill thistle or wild parsnip for the most part is going to kill alfalfa or clover. So if it's grass hay, we've got some good solutions. Um, If it's close to trees, you're probably going to have to use Frelex or 2,4-D choline just to be real careful for drift and volatility and those types of things and not getting down into the root system of the neighboring trees Um, But you got a few choices there to control those tough weeds. Uh, Thanks for the question, Brian. Really appreciate it. And, again, don't pull any of those wild parsnip with your hands. That's not a good deal. Okay, Um, got a comment that came in uh, from uh, uh, Lee down in Iowa here. He said, hey, guys, did some trial work with non-GMO corn or conventional corn versus corn that had traits in it. Had really good luck with the non-traded corn this year. In fact, uh, we we out-yielded the other stuff. Now, it wasn't apples to apples. We did a few things different. We used a rootworm insecticide, on the conventional corn. We didn't do that on the traits. <laughs> yep. So I'm just questioning a couple of things here. Oh, also should mention fungicide on both the traded and non-traded corn gained us 10 bushels this year yeah, uh, with the same variety. So fungicide looks really good. Uh, I'm just wondering, is non-GMO corn the way to go or should I be using a rootworm insecticide everywhere? Because it looks like the traits just don't seem to have enough protection and the well, insecticide works yeah, better. Yeah,
1: but here's the thing. Um, if he did the same study with 10 rootworm corns and 10 conventional corns and looked at the average, fine. But when you're taking one variety versus another, they're completely different genetics. I, I mean, Darren and I do trials on our farm every single year, have since we were kids. And normally from top to bottom in our, in our fields, Darren, what would you say? 80 bushels difference from the top high corn hybrid to the bottom? Maybe 100 I'm not, this is no joke, and we've done this for years and years and years and years and years. So, if literally you picked the best conventional corn and the worst that particular year, the worst genetics for that for the rootworm corn, I mean, it could be hundred bushels. And I'm not kidding you. And I know I'm. You may go, "Oh, he's just getting extreme." No, I'm not. That's literally what we see. So, you're comparing two totally different genetics. And now you've got a trait in one, you got insecticide used in the other. So there are a lot of unanswered questions here. So let's just put it this way. Can you be successful raising non-GMO, or as we would call it, conventional corn? Of course you can. But you have to manage things differently than if you have the traits. Because now you don't have protection from rootworm. You don't have protection from the above-ground insects like corn. Uh, European corn borers is really bad in our area sometimes and you don't have the ability to use Roundup. So you've got to change your herbicide program. You have to change your insecticide program and you just have to think about things a little different. And as long as you do, you can be okay. But going back to the traded side, we are seeing rootworm resistance, which is why some, some people are going to SmartStacks Pro and others are starting to put insecticide now on their traded corn. I will just tell you, we have raised traded corn for, I mean, ever since it came out, and we have always used insecticide. I, I mean, I remember when our dad was still around, and he was sometimes opposed to that because he wanted to go cheap, and I wanted high yield. And I just said no, because here's where we see issues. I was, In fact, I was just talking to an agronomist a couple days ago about this, where he had one of his customers that never uses insecticide, and all his corn went down. And I go, look... You know where we see the big problems? It's guys who haven't used insecticide. If a guy has been using insecticide in the past, his bug pressure is less, and then the disaster usually doesn't come. I'm not saying the corn couldn't still go down, you couldn't lose a little bit of yield, but I am saying you, you protect yourself to some degree from the disaster issue showing up. So we see it whether it's white grubs or rootworms, or almost any bug out there, wireworms. If you aren't using some insecticide on a somewhat regular basis, then you're more likely to get the disaster when it actually shows up. So anyway, we're comparing two totally different things here, so I I wouldn't read a whole lot into it. All I can tell you is today's genetics, what's in the conventional corn, what's in the traded corn, it's all amazing compared to what we used to have. So just think about the yields that that we're looking at today. Like over in Illinois, I mean, my gosh, 250 is common, right? (laughs) I mean, it's amazing. I'm just, I'm so happy that we have the genetics we do today. Uh, It's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it it sure is a lot of fun. Um, We talked about white mold on today's show, and that one is not a lot of fun. The other one that we get a lot of questions about is tar spot in corn. Uh, Bill over in Illinois said, well, it didn't have as much tar spot as we've had in the yeah. past, changed the timing up on fungicides, went with a couple different shots. Heard you guys talk about Zyway. Uh, have you seen anything out of that yes. one as well?
1: Yes, we have. But, you know, the, the total difference between tar spot and sclerotinia white mold is if you plan on two fungicide applications on tar spot, you probably have that disease licked. You do not with sclerotinia white mold. One or two shots of fungicide is not going to solve your problem if you have a potential big time yield loss. So with with tar spot, we do like Zyway down, and then we'd follow with a fungicide around tassel time. Otherwise, if you don't want to put Zyway down, that's fine. Just come with a, a fungicide application a week or two before tassel, and then another application about three weeks after the first application and generally speaking that takes care of it timing obviously is important and it could vary but that'll just give you a general idea and get you close thanks for
0: the questions today and thanks to you for listening
1: and be sure to join us again each weekday
0: for more ag phd radio now stay tuned for rob sharkey and shark farmer radio